Hey, welcome to night school. Doing these every night lately. It's like, I don't know about old times, but it's like those times where I do these every night. Haven't done multiple a day in a while. I don't know when the last time it was that I did multiple a day. I know I did three a day at one point. Uh, but I sold a rubber gorilla for $67 today. You know, I don't like to talk about money. But when you sell a rubber gorilla for $67, I feel like that you got to talk about it. You got to get it off your chest or brag about it. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. No, it's a great thing. I'm grateful that this gorilla got me $67. I mean, you want to talk about pennies from heaven, rubber gorillas from heaven. And it's this gorilla that I've had since I was a little kid. I never knew where it came from. It just appeared in my toy bin. It's called appearing in the toy bin. But it appeared in my toy bin when I was a little kid, and it was just always there. And for whatever reason, I had a couple gorilla toys. I had two or three gorilla toys. I had this one. I had another one that was kind of a hard plastic King Kong, what we like to call a hard plastic King Kong, which also sounds like the name of a sex toy. A hard plastic King Kong. I'll come into the sex store and buy a, a hard plastic King Kong. But I, I had that, and then I had some small gorilla. I had a little gorilla. I had two big gorillas and a, and a small gorilla. Two big gorillas and a small gorilla walking through a bar. and bleh. But I had a small gorilla that I think I got at the zoo. Because you could go to the zoo gift shop, and they would sell all of these small, very detailed animals. I think they still sell them. I went to the zoo for my 30 fourth birthday. So almost two years ago, my friend and I went to the zoo for zoo lights. It's what they call zoo lights, where you can go to the zoo late at night and it's lit up with Christmas lights. Kind of cool. You don't see much. It's, it's kind of weird too, because Christmas lights don't impress me that much. I like them, but I'm not, It's it, as an event, it doesn't really do much for me, but I was into the idea of getting to go to the zoo at night. Because you never get to go to the zoo at night. So zoo lights, for me, was more of a zoo night. The appeal was zoo night, which is also the name of a filmmaker. <laughs> I'll, I'll let that... You, you, can, you can take that joke where you want to take it. Zoo night. <laughs> you can imagine the kind of movies zoo night makes. Oh, you're into Spike Lee? Well, I'm more of a Zoo Knight fan. But anyway, I went to... Uh, to... Uh, anyway, they I think they still sell these toys. Like, you can buy animals. I had a little turtle toy. A little well-sculpted turtle toy that I think I got at the zoo also. But I also ended up with a little gorilla. But I had these two bigger gorillas. One of them was a hard plastic King Kong. And then this very weird rubber. I, I don't even know if it's supposed to be a King Kong, but it was a, a big cartoony gorilla with a wide open mouth. And you could put things in its mouth and it would go down into its stomach. And the mouth was huge. So you could put an entire action figure in through its mouth and the figure would go down into its stomach. I never knew why I had it. Because like I was getting at, like I, I, was, I wasn't a gorilla kid. I, w I doubt that I ever went to my mother once and said, Hey, Mom, I want a gorilla. I want a gorilla. 
I doubt I ever requested a gorilla. But I think that's just the nature of being a kid in this culture is you end up with gorilla toys somehow, some way you end up with gorillas. And this big, this this rubber one, you got a rubber gorilla and a hard plastic gorilla, but the rubber one, it was very cartoony. It had a big, wide open mouth, cartoonishly big mouth. And uh, I, I would play with it on occasion because there was something satisfying about sticking an action figure in through its mouth and the action figure would just sit in its stomach. And I wasn't really a monster kid. Like when I would play with action figures, I didn't really go for the monster scenario. It's like, oh, they're, they're up against a monster. When I played with action figures, it was all very interpersonal. It was all about interpersonal relationships. Except not, it wasn't like playing with Barbies or something, but it was just, it was very much about the drama of the story. And it was macho. It was very much like good guys against bad guys, but it was very much about their interactions. I still have this memory. I think I've mentioned it on here because it's one of the funniest things I've ever heard in my life. Where the neighbor kid, this is the same kid who told the Marilyn Manson story that I mentioned yesterday about, he told me that his cousin went to a Marilyn Manson show and saw a guy in the mosh pit sticking people with needles. Same kid, not the same cousin though, because he had this other cousin that would come and visit who was a year older than I was. So I always thought he was really cool because a year is a big deal when you're young. A year is still a big deal if you're me. But when I was a kid, especially, like the fact that his cousin was a little bit older than me made him very cool. He was a little more hip to things than I was. But we would always get together and we would do what we called playing guns, which basically meant LARPing. But we would just go around with guns and act out these scenes. But we would play with action figures, of course. And there was a time where the, we were sitting on the floor and we were planning what we were going to do with the action figures because I wouldn't play with action figures without a plan. As I've mentioned many times, action figures, playing with action figures was not so much playing, but planning this very complex, it was basically a very complex and deliberate process where we would come up with the scenario and the scenes and we would define who the characters were and what they were. And in this case, my friend and his cousin were over and we were playing with G.I. Joes and we were basically deciding who the good guys were and who the bad guys are, bad guys, are, bad guys were <laughs> and what they were. And we decided, oh, the bad guys are going to be a gang. They're going to be a gang like you would see in an action movie. And so we started setting the bad guys off to the side and we ended up with maybe like 10 bad guys. There was a group of maybe 15. Let's be a little bit generous. But we ended up with at least 10 bad guys. And then my friend goes, I think that's too many guys for a gang. And I was like, no. And then his cousin goes, have you seen gangs these days? Have you seen gangs? His voice rose like that. He didn't have that accent, of course, but he the inflection is dead on. I think that's too big for a gang. Have you seen gangs these days? He said it like an old man. It was one of the funniest things I've ever heard in my life. Like in the moment, even though I was like eight years old, I knew how funny it was even then, which is why I, I remember it so well. And I like, too, that he backed me up. Because it was my decision to make this a gang and to keep adding guys to the gang. 
Because you could never have enough bad guys. That's what always sucked about action figures, is they never made enough bad guys. They would make all of the good guys. They would make action figures for every single good guy, and then they would make like three bad guys. And it's like, you need more of the bad guys, especially because they're going to die. You know, in a movie or a TV show, there's always more bad guys because some of them are going to die, whereas the good guys aren't going to die, at least not most of them. Have you seen gangs these days? Have you seen gangs these days? But it was just, it's funny, like, just thinking of that one, though, because my friend was thinking, like, a gang is, like, five guys. His idea of a gang is some very small street gang. But he apparently hadn't seen gangs these days. But anyway, just to get back to the rubber gorilla. Yeah, my the storylines I like to play out with my action figures typically didn't involve a big, bad, scary monster sticking people with AIDS needles. No, it didn't involve a big, scary monster, you know, and the good guys fighting the monster. But because I had this gorilla and he had this big open mouth with a big belly that you could stick figures into, I figured might as well do something fun with it. But I never understood why it was around. I don't I never remember receiving it as a gift. I don't know if it was in my family earlier. I don't know if somebody gave it to me. You know, I got a lot of my toys at this place called Play It Again Toys. It was a used toy store the next town over, the same town Nintendo was based in. Nintendo was based in Redmond, Washington, the U.S. headquarters for Nintendo. Microsoft, too. Interesting town. Microsoft and Nintendo were both both based in Redmond. But they also had played again toys, and you could go there and you could get cheap secondhand action figures. You could go there and get used action figures, and they had it was all stuff that was from the previous generation. Like when I was a kid, you couldn't go to Toys R. By the time I was of age, you couldn't go to Toys R Us and get Star Wars figures, older GI Joes, He-Man. You had to get them either from somebody you knew or from like collectors or from Play It Again Toys. And at Play It Again Toys, they had them for cheap. So you could go there and get a bunch of cheap G.I. Joes and action figures. Amazing store. My vague memories of it are that it was very dark and dingy and brown. It felt like it was one of those stores that you walked into in a strip mall and they never had the lights on. So it was dark. And everything looked brown. And they had a lot of depressing toys. Because I've always found... I've always found like pink girl toys and like play sets. I've always found girl toys just depressing. The way that that pink and purple and everything ages is pretty terrible. And they had some of that stuff, but I hid my eyes from that stuff because it was even then as a kid, it, it did something to me psychologically where it depressed me. But anyway, I don't know. Maybe the gorilla came from Play It Again Toys. Maybe somebody gave it to me, but it was always there. And apparently it was still there now because when I was going through this bin of toys that my mom saved that was deep in a closet, I found the rubber gorilla and I was like, man, out of all the toys that got saved, this rubber gorilla that I never cared about, because I was never invested in it at all. It was just, like I said, it was just there. And so I went through this bin of action figures and looked them up to see what's worth money. And most of them I knew. Most of these figures were familiar to me. But the rubber gorilla was in there, and I just kind of put it off to the side, and I was like, at most, I'm going to have to either give that to Goodwill or throw it out. 
Nobody's going to want this rubber gorilla that was made in Hong Kong. But on a whim, I just thought, you know what? I'm going to look it up because I saw that it had the manufacturer listed on the foot. What we call listing the manufacturer on the foot. And so I decided to look up like Gigantor Gorilla. And sure enough, this thing's incredibly valuable. It's a great example of why you should never... It's why you should never assume the value of something old. Because like I was talking about in the other episode, tons of memorabilia and so-called collectibles are worthless now. Things that were presented as, oh, this is going to be worth something. Tons of that stuff is worthless. But it turns out the rubber gorilla that I never gave a shit about. Excuse me, but it's true. The rubber gorilla that I never cared about, it turns out is the most valuable toy I had. And I saw that it regularly gets $80 on EB. Regular, it regularly gets $80 on EB. EB? EB. And uh, so I was like, well, guess I'm selling this rubber gorilla. Pennies from heaven. Rubber gorillas from heaven. And this thing, it, it, it's so funny, though, because there, there are these niches. And, you know, I'm not that surprised because, I mean... Old toys, especially from the 60s and 70s, people, they're collectors for that kind of thing. I'm more familiar with action figures, but it's, you know, old toys obviously have collectors. So it's not shocking to me that this ended up being valuable, but it surprised me just because I never, you know, I, I just never cared about it. I never paid it much mind. And it seems cheap. It's good rubber. Don't get me wrong. It's good rubber. But it was made in Hong Kong, and it just, it just doesn't seem like something that anybody would ever care about. But it turns out people consistently pay around $80 for it. And it's what they call an oily jiggler. I'm not even kidding you. Because it was made with some kind of oil. And it jiggles. The, the nature of the rubber is very jiggly. So they call this an oily jiggler. Not even kidding you. And so I listed it on eBay. On eBay. And, uh, you know, you really get a taste for the weirdness of people, though, because a guy messaged me and he was like, does it say Hong Kong stamped in the foot? And I said, sure does. And he was like, "Okay, great. And he put a bid in because apparently having Hong Kong stamped in the foot is a sign of authenticity. And let me tell you, my rubber gorilla, my oily jiggler, it's authentic. And so he put a bid in, and that was days ago. This, this guy put a bid in days ago after finding out that my oily jiggler gorilla was in fact authentic. But then during the last couple days, he's been making bids, and he, he was the only bidder at that point. But the same guy, he's been making bids and then retracting them. And not all at the same time. Like, like the last two days, he would make a bid, and then he would retract it like 12 hours later. And then the next day he made a bid and retracted it 12 hours later, which is really playing with your heart. Like, you know, if you do eBay, it's like, you know what it feels like to see that your item has a bid. So the fact that this guy was going on and off and he, he seemed weird. You know, I told that story the other day about the guy messaging me about the tape, sending me a very bizarre paragraph. Seem, he was apparently very disturbed that I added $10 to a tape that I was selling that I wanted 10 more dollars from it than I originally listed it for, and he was paying close attention. So you end up dealing with these very strange people. 
And so I got the impression this guy, he keeps making bids and then retracting them. And it made no sense either. Like he originally, I, I listed it for $49 as the starting price. And he made a bid and then he retracted it. And if someone retracts their bid, it tells you how much they had put in, what their maximum was. And he had put in $50. And then when he made another bid, he did it for $51 and then retracted that. I thought about blocking him, but I saw that he had very good 100% positive feedback. And so I was like, well, if he buys it, his feedback tells me that he always pays. So I'm not too worried. But it did make me think this guy's unhinged. I mean, he's collecting oily jiggler gorillas and he's repeatedly making bids and retracting them. Um, but uh, he didn't end up winning. But I checked it today when it ended, and I, I made $67. But you know what? It shows you how quickly greed develops. And I'm not a greedy person. I am a true blue Capricorn in the sense that I can be miserly and stingy. And if I'm making money, I'm saving money. I'm very much a Capricorn in that regard. I don't mind spending money on something I like. I'm willing to spend money if I know that it's going to bring value to my life or someone else's life. So I'm not, I'm not Scrooge. And Scrooge is a Capricorn, it turns out. But uh, I'm not Scrooge. Like, I never had a problem. Like, I would, you know, I had a really good job for a while and was making good money. And I would think nothing of just throwing $20 bills away at the bar. If I wanted to go to the bar, I would just have a wad of 20s and I would just buy as many drinks as I wanted. I would buy other people drinks. That's not normally how I live. But when it came to substances, I never had a problem spending money. And that's funny too, because when I met a very good friend of mine many years ago when he moved to town, I'm not going to name him. I talk about him all the time, but I'm not going to name him since kind of a weird subject. But when he first moved here, I remember we were hanging out and I was like, oh, because he didn't know anybody and I was in college. And so I knew I had the weed connections. And one night we were hanging out and I was like, oh, I'm going to call this guy and get some weed. Uh, do you want to throw down money? And he was like, I will always throw down money on drugs and alcohol. <laughs> and I knew like I was already we were already friends at that point. But I knew right then I was like, we're going to get along because that's how I was. Like back when I was drinking and, you know, I mean, with weed, I, I always, always made it a point to have money for weed when I smoked weed all the time. I didn't use a lot of other drugs, but on occasion I would. On occasion, like if I was with people or just wanted something, other drugs were very opportunistic for me, but I had no problem spending money on them if that was the plan. So for me, it's like I've, I've never been somebody who mooches, like I never mooched off other people's alcohol or drugs. You know, unless I couldn't get any. Then I, like if I, if I couldn't get any weed and a friend had weed, I had no problem going over to their house or something like that. But I wasn't a jerk about it. Um, but I never had any problem with that. So it's it's the same thing for other things I like. Like, I've never had a problem spending money on music. I do have a problem spending money at restaurants because they're so overpriced, and I don't enjoy restaurants, so to me it's a waste. But anyway, so I'm, I'm very much a Capricorn in the sense, though, that my nature is somewhat stingy and miserly, and I really get, I get a certain pleasure out of saving money. But anyway, so I saw that I sold the gorilla for $67, but it shows you how quickly you become greedy. 
Because like I said, I never liked this toy. I forgot that, I, I mean, I didn't even know my mom saved it. And I found it in the bottom of a bin in the back of a closet, and I was ready to throw it away. I was seriously ready to just throw it in the garbage. Because I, I thought there was no way this gorilla is worth any money. And I looked it up, and I was like, well, guess what? This thing is worth a lot of money. And so it truly was a rubber gorilla from heaven. But when I saw that I made $67 and not 80 because I know that this thing usually sells for 80 but when I saw that it sold for 67 my first thought was, ugh, I didn't make 80 And that's greed. But it's a different kind of greed. Because, you know, people throw the word greed around. It's one of the most common accusations people make about other people in this society is they're greedy. Oh, he's greedy. And they, they use it, you know, for a word that is so specific... It's funny that it's, it's never, well, it, it's not specific. I mean, we all know the specific definition. Uh, you, I know that you know what greed means, but allow me to just define it for the sake of this conversation, which is when someone uses greed or greedy, 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 it basically, it means there's a person who is trying to accumulate more resources than other people. At those people's expense, maybe. It's somebody who wants more of a resource for themselves. Especially if it takes away from other people, because they want it. Doesn't matter what their motivation is. It could be personal security. A lot of greed is motivated by personal security. Personal financial security. People talk about greed like people are doing it to deliberately hurt people, when a lot of it is just pathological insecurity about finances and just wanting you and your family to be secure. Some of it is worse than that. Of course it is. But it's weird that we kind of use it as this one size fits all when the reality is there are different kinds of greed. And the rubber gorilla making $67 instead of $80, $13 less, the greed that I felt then was the greed of expectation. Because here, this gorilla came out of nowhere. I thought it was worthless, and I got 67 freaking dollars for it. And yeah, 13 extra dollars would have been nice. $13 is not nothing to me. $13, I like the number 13. And having 13 extra dollars, you know, for a total of 80, that's a meaningful difference. It's not a big deal. Like, I was willing to take $50 for it. The lowest possible number I was willing to accept, which is what I listed it at, was $49.99. $49.99. So I was willing to take $50 for it, and I ended up making $17 more than that, just in case you're struggling with the math. But it's, it, just, it tells you something about the way my brain works and probably the way everyone's brains work where the fact that I made $13 less than other people have, and it wasn't even about what they made. It was just that because I know that this gorilla sells for $80 most of the time, a part of me felt cheated. Even though I got $67 out of nowhere for a rubber gorilla I was willing to throw away and didn't even know my family still had. So I got 67 free dollars before shipping. Didn't even have to pay shipping. 
So I got 67, and eBay is going to take their cut, which I won't go into. It's gotten bad, man. If you haven't used eBay in a while, beware. I, I'm blown away at, at what they're taking now. It has changed so much. They're taking so much money away, man. They're taking so much money away, man. But anyway, so I got 67 free dollars before eBay's extortion. And that's incredible. So I had to catch myself, and I did catch myself right away. But it's just such a bad feeling. That's what I would call the greed of expectation. Because if I didn't know that this gorilla often got 80 plus dollars, I would just be like, holy crap, I got $67 for a rubber gorilla I don't care about. But the fact that I know that it often sells for 80 set up this expectation. And so many things are like that in life. This greed of expectation. When you expect something, when, when somebody gives you some kind of expectation and it's, it's not met, even if you end up profiting, even if you end up with a very favorable outcome, if you have an expectation that it could have been better, your initial response is kind of disappointment when you have no right to be disappointed. I have no right to be disappointed that my oily jiggler got $67. I have no right. I should be, I am excited. The truth is I'm very excited about that. Very excited. But just the fact that my initial response was, ooh, it didn't get 80, just says something. And I've had, you know, some other versions of that this week. I put some rare tapes up for sale for good prices, like way more than I paid for them. Like triple, quadruple what I originally paid for them many years ago. And a bunch of them sold instantly. I didn't expect that. I thought that I was setting them at a fairly high price. And I was like, well, I'm just going to set them at a high price. And I'll bring the price down later if nobody buys them. People bought them instantly, which is awesome. But you know what? Once again, the greed of this would be not so much the greed of expectation, but just good old greed. Gog, good old Greek, Greek. <laughs> That's what we call Greek. Greg? Grieg. Greek? Grieg. Grieg. Good old greed. Because when, I, when people immediately bought these tapes for a fairly high price, I mean relatively high, my first response was, oh, I could have charged more. If people were willing to buy them instantly at that price, I could have charged more. But maybe not. You know, it's the classic sales dilemma. Where it's like you want to price things low enough that people buy them quickly. But you also want to feel like you got what you deserve or what they're worth or you profited. And I feel that that's that the reality is that's what happened with these tapes is I got what I wanted. And other people got what they wanted. But the fact that people bought them so quickly gave me this idea that, oh, if people were willing to pay that much instantly... I could have charged another 10 bucks. But you got to get yourself out of that thinking, you know? You got to get away from that thinking. If it's a win-win, it's a win-win. And if I had priced it $10 higher, it might have sat there because that does make a difference. There's a lot of psychology to this stuff. I mean, if $13, if I reacted the way I did earlier with this greedy mentality to 
not making 13 extra dollars on this gorilla, $10 makes a difference to somebody else when they're deciding whether or not to buy something. I mean, a cent makes a difference. Because when I was listing some stuff on eBay, I asked my friend who was helping me. She sells stuff on eBay all the time, makes you know part of her income off of eBay. And I asked her, I was like, do you think it makes a difference if I list something at, say, $19.99 opposed to $20? Because I'd like to believe that doesn't make a difference to me. And that's such a normal person sort of response where it's like, when you go to the store and they're charging $19.99, did you know you're really paying $20? Plus, you're paying taxes, so you're paying more than $20. But the reality is there is psychology to that. And I asked her, I was like, does it make a difference if you do $19.99 opposed to $20? And she said, absolutely, it makes a difference. And I was like, yeah, I think you're right. Because even though I feel that I'm not susceptible to that, even though I'd like to think that I'm smart and I go to stores and I'm like, I know the, I know that it's really 20 because it's just one cent. You know, even though I'd like to think that I'm not tricked by that, the reality is if I see the number 19 opposed to 20, even if it's a one cent difference, 1999 versus 20 flat, it does give me a different response. I don't feel tricked by it, but my initial reaction is, oh, it's cheaper. Oh, that's cheap because it's not in the 20s. And I, I, there's something to that. So I've been doing that. because, and, and you also see where stores still do that. Commercial stores still do the whole 1999 trick. And that tells me they do it because it works. Because if that didn't work, stores would stop doing it. But the fact that every single store just about out there in the world, the fact that they still do the whole 99 cents trick tells me it must be effective. Otherwise, they wouldn't waste their time doing it. But uh, so, you know, just there's a lot of psychology to pricing. And, you know, it's funny about not making that extra $13 on the rubber gorilla. You know, as far as like feeling this initial greed and disappointment over not getting the extra $13. What's funny is I sold a CD today for $14 that that's more than I paid for it or probably equal to what I paid for it. It was a Henry Rollins CD of all things, not Rollins band, but back in the 80s, Henry Rollins released a solo album. I think it was either when he was in Black Flag or right after and it sounds kind of like Black Flag. It's kind of a punk album. It's, it's just called Henry Rollins, I guess. I haven't listened to it since I was 15. I can promise you that I have not put that CD into a stereo since I was 15 years old. It's just been sitting there. And I'm shocked that I got $14 for it. That's probably what I paid for it when I, that's probably what I paid when I got it. And so that makes up the difference. I got $80 today, <laughs> you know, it's just so funny to me though, that it's like, I have to rationalize it. And what it reminds me of is like the whole rubber gorilla thing. It reminds me of a Buddhist parable. Of course, of course it does. There's a Buddhist parable though. It's a good one where there's a guy, I, I can't remember if he's drunk, but there's a guy and he's, he's, he's complaining to his friend about how he is broke. He doesn't have any money. He's just complaining about his situation and how he has nothing, and he ends up passing out. And while he's passed out, his friend takes a jewel, a diamond, and he sews it into his 
passed out friend's robe. So it's hidden in the robe. He sews it into the lining. And the friend wakes up and he starts complaining again about his situation, about how he has nothing. And the friend eventually tells him, he's like, check your robe. And the guy finds the jewel, the valuable diamond, what we call a valuable diamond. And the point is, is that here this guy woke up from his nap and had no idea that he had this very valuable diamond. He woke up wealthy. He passed out thinking he had nothing. And in theory, he didn't. But his friend sewed this hidden jewel into his robe. And so technically he woke up wealthy, but he didn't know it. And so when his friend pointed him out, pointed it out, it was like, you didn't even know that was there. And so that's what happened to me with the rubber gorilla. I truly, I did not know this valuable rubber gorilla was in a bin in my closet. I didn't know my mom kept that. I didn't know it was worth anything. And so a week ago today, I listed it on eBay because I found out you could get money for it. So that rubber gorilla was a jewel. And it was, it was a jewel to somebody else, too, because the amazing thing about that is that there are a lot of people out there who will pay good money for these oily jigglers. There's oily jiggler collectors who see these gorillas as jewels to the point where they will message you and ask if it has the proper Hong Kong stamp on its foot. They want authentic jewels. They want authentic oily jigglers. But it's just funny to me that like a week, like a week and a day ago, I had no idea this rubber gorilla was even in my house still. I had no idea it even existed anymore. So it's basically a jewel sewn into my clothes that I didn't know I had. And here I am being greedy about $13. I have this greed of expectation. Something to be aware of. The way that expectation can ruin a good profit. And not just when it comes to money. Not just when it comes to resources, it's something that plays out in every aspect of your life. Where you start thinking, because you, because some sort of information was given to you that tells you something more could have come of this, you don't think about what you actually got out of it. You don't think about the net positive of it and that you actually did profit from it. So that happens a lot in life. Leave it to me to start moralizing and relating eBay sales to Buddhism. But that's why this stuff exists. Have you seen gangs these days? Have you even seen gangs these days? It's true, though. I mean, if Buddhism isn't going to play out on eBay, it's not going to play out anywhere. The whole reason this stuff exists is for these reasons. People think it's all about meditation and transcendence. It's all about accessing this unseen spirit world this is the dang spirit world people this is the dang spirit world people it is though this is where your spirit gets twisted up people think everything is good and evil they think everything exists in this ethereal form that surrounds us and it does it does but the way that your soul gets twisted up is when you sell something on ebay And you make a big profit on something that you thought was worthless. And your first impulse is to be like, oh, I could have made $13 more because sometimes people get $13 extra. 
And when you don't catch yourself and you let yourself move forward with that, because that's the problem, is that a lot of people experience what I experienced, but they don't catch themselves. And they spend the rest of their day a little bit pissed off because they didn't make an extra $13. So this stuff exists for these situations. Thinking about these things, being able to detach yourself, one of the reasons you do it is for this sort of stuff. And it could be anything. I mean, it's people's jobs. It's it's your relationships with people. It's all of that stuff. But it's also this sort of mundane new stuff, new technological online marketplaces. I mean, the internet itself is a a spiritual battleground as we're seeing quite apparently these days. Of course it is. How could the internet not be a spiritual battleground when you think about the fact that people's spirits are the ones communicating with each other? People's spirits, it's not people's bodies talking to each other. It's people's spirits inhabiting the computer. And the reason why people are so rotten to each other is because their spirits are twisted up, man. Just like those people, like those weird messages I got on eBay. The weird guy who was bidding on the oily jiggler and then retracting his bid multiple times in a weird window of time. That tells me something's off. Because, I mean, you know, yeah, if, if you bid on something and then find out you don't really want it or you find out that you don't have the money, it makes total sense. I mean, there's a reason why you're allowed to retract your bids, of course, and that's better than winning something and not paying. I'd much rather have somebody win an item and then not and then or sorry, I'd much rather have somebody retract a bid rather than win an item and then just decide they don't want it and not pay me after they win it. Obviously, retractions are actually a good thing. But when someone's doing it multiple times in this very strange way, I just think something is off there. Even though I don't know this person, even though they're just a name with a feedback rating on EB, I get the sense that there's something twisted up and weird about them. Maybe I shouldn't think that, but that's weird behavior to me. And it's weird, too, that I would feel this initial disappointment over not getting $80 when I got $67 for free. It's weird that that's my reaction, yet it's completely normal. But just because it's normal doesn't mean it's not weird. We think of normal and weird as opposites. We think of them as antonyms of each other. Not true. Many normal things are weird. You heard it here. You heard it here first. Many normal things are weird. Many weird things are normal. And you you first come across that. Like I first learned that when people would talk about like some weird behavior they do, like talking to yourself. I don't mean having serious in-depth conversations like I'm doing right now, but just the normal sort of chatter you do with yourself in your house when you're alone that everybody does. We think of that as a weird behavior. Meanwhile, it's completely normal. Everybody does it. And what makes it even more weird is when we see other people doing it or hear them doing it, we act like they're really screwed up. 
Like when you see somebody walking down the street and just sort of catch them saying something to themselves, you think, oh my God, they're weird. Meanwhile, you do it. I find myself doing it. Sometimes when I'm walking down the street, I'll just be, I'll be thinking very hard about something and then I start to notice that I'm mouthing it. It doesn't happen all the time, but it happens. I see other people do it all the time. When I lived in an apartment building with crappy walls, I would hear my neighbors doing that. People do it in front of each other. They talk to themselves in front of each other. Like if you have a significant other, your girlfriend's in the kitchen, you hear her kind of talking to herself. And she's saying it knowing that you'll hear it, but she's not saying anything that you'll respond to or that's directed toward you. You see it when people say things like, like oh, I'm going to put this dish away. <laughs> oh, I have to turn that off. Oh, I have to turn the stove off. They're not telling you that. They're talking to themselves because we all do it. But we act like that's a weird behavior when it's completely mundane and normal. Oh, it's so weird that people pick their nose. I pick my nose all the freaking time when I'm at home. When we see somebody do it, we act like it's the sickest thing in the world. And it is gross. Don't get me wrong. Picking your nose is gross. But when nobody's watching us, of course we pick our noses. We act like it's a very weird behavior. But the truth is, we all do it. And so weird and normal are not antonyms. They aren't opposites. But uh, some behavior is weird. Sometimes you get a sense that somebody is weird. A couple of these people I've interacted with on eBay, I can tell you they're weird. Something seems very wrong with them. And we normalize that weirdness sometimes. Like some of the nastiness that people express online has become normal. And sometimes I see it when I'm in a very detached place and I'm just like, this is incredible. I don't get upset. I don't get emotionally impacted. That happened to me the other night. It happened to me like two nights ago. I think it was last, maybe last night or the night before. There's this awful website that I occasionally reference, but I very rarely visit it. But it's become the, the, one of the main places where people discuss things. And as a result, it's almost unavoidable. If you're looking something up, it comes up in the links, comes up in the search results. Sometimes there's a couple times that I'll deliberately go there for certain information, but it's unbearable. It's called Reddit. And if you don't know what that is, good. If you know what it is and don't understand why I consider it a certain form of technological hell, well, then we have fundamentally different philosophies. But I went to the NFL page they have. They have a page for the NFL. And I used to go there years ago. When I first found out about that site, one of the main reasons I went there, and I was not a, a regular user or anything like that, but I would go there to the NFL page because it was one of the few places you could go to for intelligent NFL discussion. Because you're not going to find intelligent NFL discussion on Facebook. There's not any message boards anymore where you're going to see much of that. 
So really, the only place to go see intelligent NFL discussion was Reddit for a number of years. So during football season, during the off season too, I would check it. It would be a great place to get updates on what was going on during the off season. It'd be a great place to see intelligent commentary from people about the NFL. But it got tainted like everything else. It's now the same liberal pit that the rest of the site is. But I went there for the first time in probably, it must be over a year, maybe two years since I've even looked at the NFL page they have. And everything was just a nightmare. What used to be, yeah, like there, it was kind of like the, the same sort of awful sitcom sense of humor that people have. Sitcom meets like entitled internet user humor. Like that was always a part of it, and I always had to grit my teeth to get past it. But now it's entirely that. And if you're not familiar, Aaron Rodgers, who's, you know, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, the Green Bay Packers quarterback, it came out that he was unvacked. And I don't think they suspended him, but they, uh, I think he apparently, they claim he lied because he told them he was immunized because he's been basically taking a homeopathic approach. So he told them he was immunized and they assumed he was vacked. But it turns out he was unvacked. I think he tested positive for coronavirus. So I don't think he's technically suspended, but he's not allowed. I mean, he's, he's basically suspended. He's not allowed to play. If he's not suspended, it's only in it's in name only because he's definitely suspended from playing football, which is the whole point, <laughs> you know, the whole thing he does. But I went to this Reddit page for the first time in a couple of years. Yeah, it must be over two years since I looked at it because I gave up looking at anything like that. And all of the main comments on it were just them raging and mocking him, calling him all kinds of, making all kinds of really stupid and bad jokes. And yeah, if you disagree, you disagree. If you think he should have been vacked, sure. But what I realized when I was looking at this, because I was in a very detached state, what I realized when I was looking at it is that they think it's normal and acceptable to react this way. They think it's normal and acceptable to hate this man, who they all loved, because he was a well-liked player over the years. He's not one of these guys who people all love to hate. Aaron Rodgers was a guy who people are just like, yeah, he's a good guy and an amazing quarterback. But when it came out that he was unvacked, these Reddit NFL users who are not, I I didn't see, and I I looked at some other threads on there too, because I was curious. I wanted to see what people were saying about football. I saw very little about the game because that was the reason why it was good is you could go there and you would read interesting analysis, interesting commentary about the game of football. But I went there and there was none of that. If it was there, it was completely buried. And there were, it was thread after thread, and they were the most popular threads, just ripping Aaron Rodgers apart, mocking every single thing he said. Because apparently in an interview, Aaron Rodgers said the problem with him being unvacked is that people are going to politicize it on the left and the right. And it's clear from his comments that he's more critical of the left. Probably in the same way I am at this point. But uh, 
people took that comment, like where he was saying, oh, people on the left and the right are going to politicize this. And they were like, people were making fun of that. And that doesn't bother me because I have thin skin about it. It was just, it's a no-win situation, and these people are ghouls. And I'd seen some commentary on there, too, about the John Gruden situation, because I looked at some older stuff that I had missed, because, like I said, I haven't been looking at it. So I pulled up some older stuff about the John Gruden situation, where it came out that in these private emails, John Gruden, this was about a month ago, John Gruden had made some derogatory comments about women, a black guy, this and that, gay people. You know, it was all very flippant. It was it was all very it was all just in passing. And they were private emails that got leaked. And it was interesting to see people's responses to that because the only people even remotely standing up for him were saying what he did is awful and deserves punishment, but like they all had to qualify their statements by being like he deserved to be fired. He resigned, but he was I mean he was going to be fired if he didn't resign. But they were like what he did is completely awful, but but I also kind of so it's like to even make a point to even make a point you had to do what I was talking about recently, which is say that it's bad. It's what I was talking about with you know whenever you're talking about anything you're not allowed to talk about anything objectively. You're not allowed to talk about a behavior without denouncing it yourself. It's what I was talking about with pedophiles and audiophiles and serial killers and mafiosi, where when you talk about dark things, there's sometimes this pressure to be like, it's bad. Did you know it's bad? When it's like, why can't you just talk about it for what it is And other people should be able to determine if it's bad. And I noticed the way that people were talking about John Gruden is everybody who was offering any kind of counterpoint was pressured. They obviously felt the internal pressure to make it clear they didn't agree with John Gruden. They had to make it clear they didn't agree with him. And like somebody else pointed out, You know, there was a very well-liked football player, Deshaun Watson, who was recently accused of sexual assault. I thought he was a good guy, too. You know, I thought that he, you know, I've watched him play over the years, and he just seems like a nice guy, a nice kid. But he was accused of sexual assault. And people were pointing out how people are far angrier at Aaron Rodgers for not being vaccinated than they are Deshaun Watson for possibly sexually assaulting a woman. And that's just it in a nutshell. That is that that just says everything. And that's not just somebody cherry picking. Like I said, what I saw on this website in this pit of ghouls was the level of vitriol, the level of contempt and the unhinged mockery of Aaron Rodgers was so out of control and out of hand over him not being vaccinated and making some comments that doesn't align with modern leftist politics. They were so, they they were filled with so much contempt and hate for him for that, 
that it completely overshadowed all these other bad things guys have done that are far more directly harmful and terrible, like raping a woman. And I mean, even just the other day, a player on the Raiders, I think it was, he he got drunk and he was driving 156 miles an hour on the freeway and he got into an accident and killed a woman. And it's big news and people are denouncing it. But people are more upset at Aaron Rodgers. I'm not even kidding. People are still angrier at Aaron Rodgers than they are at this guy who got drunk and drove 156 miles an hour in his fancy car and killed a woman. They're more upset that Aaron Rodgers was unvacked. But you know what? I'm not surprised by that. I'm not surprised that's the case. People have gotten this weird, it's almost like a, I don't, it's almost like a piece of their brain was like pulled out and is just hanging loose. There's like a little piece of their brain just dangling in their skull. And anytime they hear unvacked, it just goes right into that part of the brain. It interacts with this little dangling piece of their brain and they just start twitching and losing absolute control. They lose, they're losing complete control over themselves. And they're just like, I hate him. I hate him. I hate him. I hate, hate him. Hate him. He's so, so he's stupid. It's incredible though. It's incredible because I, I was reading this in a very detached late night state and I was just like, they think this is the right reaction. They think this is how a normal person responds to this. Even if you agree, like even if your response is, okay, the NFL is trying to be safe. They want players to be vacked. Apparently they allow unvacked players, but they have to follow certain protocol. Like they have to wear masks on the sidelines They have to stay in their hotel, like when they're traveling for games, they have to stay in their hotel room and aren't allowed to leave. They're not allowed to socialize. They're not allowed to go to restaurants. So if you're an unvacked player, you can apparently play, which doesn't make any sense. If that's true, it doesn't make any sense that you would be allowed to go out on the football field without a mask. But none of this stuff makes any sense. It's like the the whole like restaurant rules about how like wear your mask except when you're eating. None of this stuff makes sense. So you can play if you're unvacked, but you have to wear a mask on the sidelines and you have to isolate yourself completely. You're not even allowed, apparently, to travel with the team. And so people are extremely upset that Rodgers was not only unvacked, but he wasn't following any of the protocol expected of unvacked players, and they feel he was deceptive about it. I would agree that he was deceptive about it. I would agree that when he told them he was immunized, that there was an element of deception there. But who cares? The reason he was deceptive is because this has all become such a charade. And I feel like people's angry, hateful response to him, people who liked him yesterday, their angry, hateful response to him for being unvacked, that says, that justifies his deception that justifies everything he's done in so many ways. And uh, it's good when someone does this because it reveals 
who people are and, and where their minds are or where their minds aren't. But I saw people even going through and like they were looking for other things. Like I saw a thread where somebody was like, here's another thing Aaron Rodgers is going to get in trouble for. Because apparently the NFL had a rule where if a player is unvacked, they're not allowed to participate in events that are sponsored by companies. Like, like something to the effect of like companies, like, like if, a, if, a, if like a corporation or a, a company sponsors an NFL event, NFL players who are unvacked aren't allowed to participate. But someone misinterpreted that rule. Some little ghoul on Reddit misinterpreted that rule, and they believed that it meant that a player can't have an endorsement deal if he's unvacked. And as everybody knows, Aaron Rodgers is on TV all the time. He's on those State Farm commercials. So this person was like getting this thrill out of the idea that, oh, he's going to be in even more trouble because he's, he's, he has endorsement deals. Like they're looking for this guy to be hurt in all kinds of different ways. Like they were secretly hoping that he gets his endorsement deals either taken away. And he already has. He has had an endorsement deal get taken away. And that's fine. That's their business. It's not my business. But you could see where people are like, they want him to be punished even more. You can see, like honestly, you can readily understand why people were pilloried. You can readily understand why there were public executions, why people got put in the stocks. You can completely understand psychologically how that happened when you see this behavior. We aren't that far off. I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm not saying that people are going to put the unvacked into a pillory in the middle of town. But this is the behavior, the, re, the response is the same sort of response you would get from the crowd who sees a man who's been pilloried. And they're like, he deserved it. He deserves to have his fingers locked in that piece of wood and to have to sit there in the town square while we throw things at him, while we throw rotten fruit at him. You can see the psychology is there. The mechanism might be different, but the psychology is there. And I promise you that in some out-there scenario where they did pillory Aaron Rodgers... Oh, but you can't throw a football now. Can't throw a football with your hands locked in the pillory. But you can see where if it came out, if the government and the NFL came out and made an announcement and they've like, we've just, we've decided that because Aaron Rodgers deceived us and therefore deceived all of you by being unvacked and lying about it, we've decided to put him in a pillory. And when the Green Bay Packers play their next game, now for the rest of the season, when the Green Bay Packers play, we're going to put Aaron Rodgers in a pillory in front of the stadium. And as you enter and exit the stadium, we want you to throw things at him. A certain number of people would be like, okay, he deserves it. It's the sort of logic I was talking about the other day when I mentioned how eBay still has a filter where if you have the word mask or dust, in your listing, they flag it and don't allow you to post it. And how when I was trying to figure out what the heck was going on when that happened to me, when I was trying to sell an action figure that utilized those keywords, 
and it didn't let me. I was so confused. I was trying to research what was going on, and I found this thread where somebody was defending eBay's policies, but defending it in this very, like they had internalized it. It wasn't just like, oh, well, that's eBay's deal, and we just kind of have to follow it, which I understand. I understand that logic. But it was somebody who had already, within, within days, it seemed like, of eBay instituting this policy in 2020, there are people who deeply internalized eBay's logic and were defending it passionately. So you can see where that would happen with this stuff. And you can see where it already has. You can see where people deeply internalized all of this coronavi protocol. Even the stuff that makes no sense. And as I've said before... I don't give a fuck about masks. I I don't care that I have to wear a mask. That's not the hill that I'm going to die on. I think the performative aspect, I think there I, I think it is largely a charade and a performance. But I'm not going to fight it. I want to save my energy for other things, and I am saving it for other things. But I would, but just because I comply, just because I've complied with the mask, just because I got vacked, I mean, I've been vacked for, what, eight months, nine months? But, you know, I, I've been vacked. I've been vacked. And I, I'll wear the mask. I'll go along with that. But I don't internalize their weird, warped logic surrounding it. You'll never catch me lecturing somebody else about what they should do or not do. I don't believe in it. Even if it's effective, even if it's the right thing to do, I don't believe in it. And somebody would have a problem with that. I know I'm talking about a phantom here, but I'm not really. Because we see these, these aren't phantoms that I'm talking about. These are real people that we know personally. And if we don't know them, we see them online all over the place. They're all around us. So I'm not talking about phantoms here. But if I were to even say... Yeah, I comply with these rules, which I do, more or less. Not in every case, but I more or less comply with the main rules they've demanded of us. I do the bare minimum, but I do the bare minimum. You know, you get it? You get it? I only do the bare minimum, but at least I do the bare minimum. Uh, And... The fact, though, that I don't believe in it, and if I were to say that, oh, yeah, I do it, but I don't believe in it, somebody would be bothered by that. They would be like, well, why don't you believe in it? And my response would be, well, I do it. Isn't that what you care about? Isn't what you care about the fact that I'm doing it? But they want you to believe it. And no, this isn't a phantom argument. Because I've seen the way people respond to my philosophy, my, my philosophy, just my opinion. It, this has become a philosophy, though. It sounds absurd, but all of this has become this philosophy to people. But, you know, just like my opinion all along and still today is I got the vac, but I don't believe anybody should have to, to keep their jobs, to play football, to do anything. I chose to get vacked on a whim. Because I was already at the doctor for another reason, and they came in and said, do you want it? And I said, sure. Oh, well. I really have very little to lose. If it kills me, it kills me. 
And uh, so I chose to get it in that moment. And I got the second one. And I had a horrible reaction to it. I had 24 hours of hell. Where I was violently shaking, shivering. That turned into a fever. It was a hellish 24 hours. And even after sleeping for 12 and 14 hours, however long I slept, I felt terrible the next day. Even though those main symptoms of shivering and shaking, oh, the pain. Forgot to tell you about the pain. I'm sure I've mentioned it, but every part of my body hurt. The muscles of mine that were already sore from working out were in a lot more pain after that. I had aches and pains that escalated. And it was in direct response to getting the shot. And I was told that could happen. I was told that the second shot could do a number on you. And it did do a number on me. Probably not as bad as it's done to other people. And I know other people have said they didn't feel a thing. I would be lying if I said that I didn't experience that. I had a, a what I would consider a very severe response to it. Not severe in the sense that I had to go to the hospital. But if those symptoms happened to me randomly... Like, if I had the same symptoms I got the night of the shot, if those happened to me without doing anything, I would have gone to the hospital. I would have thought that I had some sort of severe reaction to something. I would have thought that I was very sick. And it's actually the sickest I've been in probably five, more than five years. It's the sickest I have been in recent memory. And it was in direct response to the shot. Would I do it again? Probably just because it's the path of least resistance and I decided that I'm not invested enough to protest the shot. But it was, I'm not going to lie about my reaction to it because that's what happened to me. No exaggeration. That's exactly what happened to me. And I'm in extremely good shape. I keep my body in very good shape. So if a person who is in great health like me had that severe of a response... Other people might have a worse response. I don't know. I don't know how it works. And that's what bothers people too, is they don't know. But anyway, a lot of passion here from me. Getting, I'm giving you a lot of passion. But it just plays into this fear of death. This god dang fear of death. Where people are so afraid of death right now. They are paralyzed, that they are making life miserable for people. The way they feel about other people is so miserable. It's just, it's unbelievable to witness. And it's all based around death. None of this would matter if people weren't afraid to die. Not that they should want to die, but they are so scared. Coronavi made them, because they're, We're talking about people who are already not adjusted to the reality of death. They're scared of their own death. They're scared of people they know dying. They're scared of strangers dying. They're scared of the planet dying. They're scared of the solar system dying. You know, with climate change, like what happens if we do save the planet and we find out the solar system is dying? Then what? A whole new thing to worry about. We can't accept the finite nature. And again, I keep myself in good shape because I don't want to invite death right now. I want to live as long as possible. I don't care if I don't live as long as possible. 
I'm okay with a, a dying when I die, but I don't do anything to invite death at this point. But I take very good care of myself in part because just it makes my life better. It makes me feel better. And I do feel better because of it. But yet, I'm not afraid of dying. You know? And I don't say that to taunt fate. I just say that it's the truth. I fear the pain. It's not that I'm not afraid of the pain of death. But it's like Ramdas said, you know, Ramdas had a joke. It might have been one he heard from somebody else, but I love it. And I love it even more after my mom's death, which he was talking about how a spirit visited a guy. And this is a joke, keep in mind. But he was talking about how a ghost visited a guy and was like, you can ask me any question you want. And the guy, of course, asks like, well, what's it like to die? What, 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 what's death all about? You know, what does it feel like to die? And the ghost says, well, I can tell you this. It's completely safe. <laughs> I love that because it's true. It's completely safe. Dying is completely safe. The circumstances of your death might not be safe. It might be painful. It might be horrible. But death itself is completely safe. And people are making life miserable. They're so scared of it. And what's interesting to see is I know all these people who are like, I'm death positive. There's this whole mo- there's, there was this whole movement that went side by side with the sex positivity movement. And it's not as popular as that. But it was, it's called the death positivity movement. And you may have heard of it, but it's a real thing. And I know all these people, and they tend to be liberal women. And their whole thing is like, we need to educate people about what death really is. And of course, they always cite other cultures. They always cite other cultures who, where death is just more ingrained into their cultural practices. Cultures that have a healthier relationship with death, which I would agree with. I agree with them 100% that the West has an extremely unhealthy relationship with death. And we're seeing that right now. That's exactly what I'm talking about. But what's so weird is to see these same people who are part of this death positivity thing. And I know, I know a number of them. It's not just one or two people. I know a bunch of them, and they all tend to be liberal women. And these are the people who are like screaming about people becoming vaccinated. These are the people who are like, have been terrorizing other people during the last year and a half about coronavirus. And it's one thing to be like, okay, you know, you can be death positive, as they say. And I would never call myself death positive. Death is death. It's not, for me, death isn't positive or negative. I would never assign any, any kind of quality to it like that. And I feel the same way about sex. Sex is sex. Sex is sex. Death is death. That's how I feel about it. But, you know, to see these people like, psychically terrorizing other people over the fear of death when it's like, I thought you were the people who are supposed to be well-adjusted to the reality of death. I guess we're seeing what you're really all about. (sighs) 
And I don't blame them for it. I don't blame anybody. I don't judge anybody for this. I want to make that clear. But it's just like, what are you going to do if, if, if it turns out that the planet, you know, we can't, if it turns out we can't do anything about climate change and it's real, because I don't care. I'm not, I don't deny climate science. I don't, I just don't really care because I'm doing what I can. Yeah, I could stop driving a car. I can tell you I'm not going to stop eating meat. I'm not going to stop driving my car. Unless you give me a, a perfect rail system. Unless you have public, unless you offer me public transportation that's better than our bus system here, which is terrible. But even then, you know, it's going to take a lot for me to drop those things. But beyond that, I do what I can. I live in a house that, you know, uses heat, uses a furnace. I don't worry about it, though, because I'm doing relatively little to destroy the earth. I'm environmentally conscious in my own right. So what else do you want me to do? Do you want me to scream at people? Do you want me to be hysterical? Do you want me to be that little girl who, who says, How dare you? Have you seen gangs these days? When Greta Van Thustrin, when when Greta Von Thunderberg got up on stage and said, "Have you seen gangs these days?" That'd be amazing if she completely pivoted and she started like talking about how big gangs are now. Have you seen gangs these days? That kid that I knew who said that, that kid who, when we were playing with action figures, said, "Have you seen gangs these days?" I feel like he had more insight than these little kids who have become political puppets. He knew what life's really about. But anyway, you know, if it turned out there was nothing we could do to stop it, if climate change is real, and I'm not saying it's not, but I also know that apocalyptic scenarios are built into us, we will find a way to incorporate an apocalyptic eschatological scenario into everything we do because we've always done it every religion has one all over the world every religion has some sort of eschaton has some sort of apocalypse built in some of them are strikingly similar in different parts of the world to the point where it really makes you wonder how deeply that is ingrained into us but of course, the, the secular atheistic left has its own, because that's a religion too, and everybody makes that cliche point, but it's a belief system. Getting away from the religion word, it's a belief system, and it seems like some sort of apocalyptic, eschatological, Ragnarokian, Kali Yugian scenario is just built into what we do. And as a result, you just have to kind of accept that we see things that way. And maybe there's evidence of it. I don't deny people's observations, but I'm not invested because I don't want to make myself miserable and I really don't want to make other people miserable. So lecturing them, fighting with them, making life more difficult while we're here. Because here's the thing, if it all ends up being something we can't... Let's say climate change is real and we're all going to be burnt to a horrible crisp 
and your grandparents are, are <laughs> your grandchildren, aka your grandparents, they're going to live short, miserable lives before the sun just burns them to a little crisp. Do you want life to be as miserable as possible up to that point? Do you want people to be tormenting each other over it? That doesn't seem like the right thing to me. If there's a certain, you know, I'm doing what I can. Yeah, I'm not Ted Kaczynski. I haven't retired to a cabin. But we see what happens when people do that. We see how Ted Kaczynski turned into a bad wizard. He turned into Soromon, tormenting people. He couldn't just go live in a cabin and know that he is doing the right thing to live a pure and organic life. He went to a cabin and he blew up computer salesmen and scientists. He was filled with hatred. So I don't think that my choice is that bad. I think I'm doing pretty well with it. I feel pretty good about it, actually. I feel pretty good that I live in a house... It uses certain resources to stay heated. I use electricity. I drive a car. I throw some things in the garbage I probably shouldn't throw in the garbage. But they're always changing the rules around that. They're always changing the rules about what you can recycle and not recycle. They came up with a rule here last year. I got this flyer in the mail from the city that said we can no longer accept glass in the recycling bin. Not just that you have to sort it into a different bin. They straight up don't recycle it here. Out of nowhere. And I'm like, glass? And someone would probably defend that. They'd be like, well, the reason is blah, blah, blah. You know, but, you know, so they have all kinds of weird little rules around what's recyclable and what's not. I'm pretty okay with my footprint. I'm pretty okay with it. And because I'm okay with my footprint, that's about all I can do. My family's even better than I am. My dad, my sisters, they're even more environmentally conscious than I am. So my bloodline is, you know, I'd say we're better than average when it comes to living an eco-conscious lifestyle. I'll say that about us. What's next, though? Should I be going out lecturing people? I feel like most of the people I know are pretty good, too. Maybe it's the part of the country I live in. I live in the Pacific Northwest. Maybe the area I live in is a little more environmentally conscious. I know it is. It is. And that's a good thing. It's one of the things I like about living here. Even though I don't agree with the politics and the bizarre beliefs many people have developed in this area... I agree with them about the environment in many cases, except they seem to be screaming. They seem to have turned into ghouls about it. So I don't agree with that. I agree with them in theory. I don't agree with how they go about it, about the idea of lecturing people and making life more hellish to achieve some sort of utopia. Because you see that a lot, where it's like, oh, in order to reach this heavenly utopia... Life has to get extremely hellish first. You see this in communist countries. Oh, in order to reach this utopian socialist ideal, we have to go through hell first and kill a lot of people and cause a lot of destruction. But we'll eventually reach that utopia. 
But by then, your road has gotten so crooked, you're never getting there. You're never getting to utopia. If you have to turn society into hell to get to that utopia, let me tell you, you're never going to get to that utopia. You're just going to stay in hell. Because once you turn society into hell, you just live in hell. But people are tormented, and I, I do... I don't really worry about them anymore. I don't really worry about other people's internal torment. I do pay attention to the way they torment others, and it's everywhere. You see a lot of it. You even just see it in the way people move, the way they look. They look tormented. The way people are adorning themselves these days, I don't judge them for it, but they look like tormented people. I, I walked to the post office the other day, and you know, I passed by a strip mall, I passed by the grocery store, and just people are hunchbacked and pigeon-toed now. They look down, their heads are downcast, they are hunchbacked and pigeon-toed, and they're not born that way. Their, their physicality is becoming warped. And if you think I'm crazy, I'm not. I see this. I see pe- the way people look, and they have developed hunchbacks. And not because, because that used to be the joke, is that, oh, it's all these people sitting at the office all day. It's all these people sitting at the computer all day. It's making them hunchbacked. Well, a lot of these people aren't even sitting at computers anymore. They're sitting on couches with their phones. They have standing desks at work. They're not hunchbacked because they're crouched in front of a desktop computer, because that used to be the thing people would say. Like, there was that old drawing someone made. It was an old, like, diagram, kind of a a dark joke, what we call a dark joke, where it was like the evolution of man, and it showed, you know, the ape who's hunchbacked, who's kind of hunched over, and then he becomes prostrate, he, he, he becomes prostate? No, he, he, you know, suddenly he evolves into man who's standing straight up. But then, like, the diagram continues, and then it shows man hunched over in front of a computer. And so basically the idea is that man evolved to stand upright, and now he's devolving into being hunched over again because he sits at a computer all day. I don't think that's why I'm seeing so many hunchbacks out there. And like I said, they're not born that way. People just, that's kind of how they walk and look now. They have no confidence. And they walk pigeon-toed. Maybe it was just a weird day, but half the people I saw out and about were pigeon-toed and hunchbacked. But, you know, people's body language and their posture and everything is a reflection of their spirit. The reason why people look so screwed up right now is because they are. They're all twisted up inside. And it's sad. It's sad to see people like that. And, you know, the homeless people are a whole other issue. Their body language is insane. I'm not even talking about their behavior. I'm just talking about their physicality, the way they move, the way they stand. And there's so many people, too, that I notice out there, and their, their body language is very suspicious, suspicious. 
They're very suspicious looking. They look like they're up to no good. And I'm not saying they are. They look like people who are up to no good. They look like they're about to just steal something. Like they, they move around like they're hunched over. They walk very slowly, but their head is kind of like, they're, just, they're like looking for something to grab. It's very strange. And it's not just one type of person. You know, and of course, maybe there's a level of negativity bias where I'm not noticing all of the many normal people, which there are, which there are. Of course, there are many people who walk and look like normal people. But you just, you you can see it. People's physicality is a reflection of what's going on in the same way the way they act on eBay. <laughs> is a reflection of what's going on. People are getting very weird. And you can't let it get to you. I'm not letting it get to me. I know I'm going off on a bit of a rant here, which I have no apologies for. But but I'm aware, you know, I, I know I'm going off. I might be exaggerating a little bit. But it was enough that I observed it the other day. And it's not just a one-day thing. I notice it almost every time I go to the grocery store. And I also see a lack of awareness. A lot of people aren't aware of their surroundings. I don't expect everybody to be a paranoid freak like me who's looking at everything all the time. Like when I, even if I just walk down to the store, which is, you know, quarter mile from my house, I'm looking all around. Part of that's because I am paranoid. Part of that's just because I like to look at things. I like to look at my surroundings. I like to notice things. To me, that's one of the true joys of life. Optics is, you know, optics is one of the true joys of life. Seeing things, taking things in, hearing things. It's the reason why I don't wear headphones outside of my house. I like to hear what the world is doing. I like to see what the world is doing. I like to walk through the world and, and experience it. And I see people who are just completely in their own heads. They're looking down. Their backs are arched. They have pigeon toes. And they seem very suspicious. And I, you know, it blows my mind that this isn't of greater concern. But part of what's going on seems to be total denial. Total denial of the state of things. Because things aren't okay. Life is okay. And, I, you know, the, gr- the greater phenomenon of life is fine. But society is truly not okay. And it's obvious. And I'm not surprised by that because this is what I was talking about a year and a half ago. This is what I'm always talking about. But it's obvious that something is not right. And you can see where the government, the current political power, they're all about denial. Most of what they do is simply denial. Even the supply shortages, which I won't go into, I don't know a lot about it, but it's evident. Where deny it, 
And then when you can't deny it anymore, say that it's fine. Be like, no, it's okay that there's massive inflation and supply shortages. And then blame the people for it, because I've actually seen that recently. I've seen where the people themselves are being blamed. Well, you just shouldn't... The word treats was used. I don't know if other people saw that, but somebody said, well, people just need to get used to not getting their treats. You're lucky we live in a civilized society saying something like that. You are lucky people are as civilized as they are, and I wouldn't bet on them staying that way. You just need to get used to inflation and supply chain shortages because you're so entitled to your treats. Maybe there's some truth to that, but that's a completely separate issue from what we're seeing right now. And hopefully this is temporary. I don't want this to be the case. But it's apparently the case. Just get used to not having your treats. I see kids. I live not far from a high school. I see those kids. You want to talk about hunchbacked and pigeon-toed. They don't seem okay. I, if, if I want anybody to be okay, it's these kids. But the world they've been living in, trapped indoors with these pseudo-pundit political parents... being told all kinds of nonsense about the nature of reality, being lied to continually. It's going to be rough. Because my childhood, my, the, the period I grew up in was perfect. I couldn't have grown up during a better time, and I'm grateful for that. Looking at these, the stuff that my mom saved, the stuff that was buried in a closet... This oily jiggler, rubber gorilla. When I look at all that stuff, I'm just like, man, I grew up at the right time. But I worry about these kids. Not too much. I mean, people are resilient. But anyway, enough about this. Enough about it. I just had to go off. Because I... I put blinders on for a couple straight weeks. I'm doing that a lot. I'm, I'm kind of, I feel like I'm kind of in a two weeks on, two weeks off mode where I spend two weeks looking at everything and paying attention. And then I spend two weeks just putting my head down and working on something. And I'm in the mode, obviously, right now of paying attention again. And what's funny is when I put my head down and I'm focused on something else, things in my own world seem okay. For the most part. But when I see what, what's happening out there, when I see what's going on in government, the military, commerce, it blows my mind. The escalation. It's unsustainable. But you know what is sustainable? William Shatner. I don't talk about him. I don't care about Star Trek. I'm not a Star Trek fan. I saw an interview with William Shatner today he looks 55 years old and he's 90. He's sharp. He's making jokes. He's, he's got a, a very coy sense of humor. He's funny. And I, I don't say that in that I'm a fan. Like, I didn't watch this interview with him and be like, I'm a fan. But I didn't realize he was 90. 
I can't believe that he's 90. I cannot believe if you looked like he, it wasn't even like I saw him in some polished studio where he had makeup on. He was just on a webcam in his house for this interview I saw. It's unbelievable he is a 90 year old man mentally and physically. It's just phenomenal. Talk about sustainable. You know, we got to do, we got to be more like him. That's a good way to end it. <laughs> I saw an interview with William Shatner. You wouldn't believe how good he looks. Have you seen William Shatner these days? Have you seen William Shatner these days? You know, that's where my brain's at. Because, see, if I wasn't ranting and raving about all sorts of other stuff going on in the world, I'd just be doing that. I'd just be telling you how good aging celebrities look. I'd be talking more about eBay. That's why I can't do anything. Since I started this show, I can't do anything without talking about it on here. Just like, oh, I did something. Better talk about it. Better relate it to a Buddhist parable. No, it's, it's, it's fine. Because that's just part of the acceptance. I've accepted there's an element of destruction in the air. And someone might think that sounds severe. I don't think it's severe enough. I don't think the way I'm talking about it is actually as severe as it really is. Because I do have a positive outlook about this existence, this phenomenon that is life. Believe it or not, my overall outlook to me feels very positive. I feel okay with all of this. I feel okay with life. And that's what I want to hold on to. And all I expect from other people is that they don't actively campaign to make our quality of life worse. When that seems to be at the top of all of their agendas. And people have such a chip on their shoulders. Like all you need in life... To be formidable is a good pair of eyes because you will pay attention to things, you will see things, you will be aware, and if you have a good pair of eyes, they will communicate with people everything that needs to be communicated. Learn how to look at people with a good penetrating stare. Learn how to look at people. I was listening to this Norm MacDonald clip. It was from the Norm MacDonald show, and he had David Spade on. And they were talking about that. They were talking about how good it is to be able to give somebody a good penetrating stare. How much that communicates. Now, actually, you know what? I don't think they were talking about that. That was something else. <laughs> they were talking about... Oh, there was something else I was paying attention to where they were talking about the importance of having a good penetrating stare, how useful that is. How much that can communicate to somebody who's messing with you, just to let somebody know. It certainly worked wonders in my life. But the Norm Macdonald clip, it was, I think it was actually about something else. But Norm Macdonald commented in it, he was, he was talking to David Spade, and he was like, 
you've always looked uh, kind of sickly. You've always kind of, you know, you've always kind of had that sort of sickly look to you. I've worried about you. And I thought that was so funny because I've never heard that put into words. It's always been so obvious to everybody who's ever seen David Spade. He's a runt. And he does kind of have that, that weak, sickly look, like he barely survived infanthood. And it was so funny that Norm MacDonald finally put it to words. You know, this is old, of course, because if you didn't know, he's dead. Um, but I was a big Norm MacDonald fan most of my life. Big Norm MacDonald fan, love him. And he, uh, he, was just, he finally just put it to words where it's like, yeah, you know, David, you, you've always had kind of a sickly look to you. I always had kind of a sickly look to you. And David Spade was like, that's dark. You're getting really dark here. And then Norm was like, well, you, you know, you'll probably outlive me, which he did. But he's like, you'll probably outlive me because, you know, because you've been kind of sickly looking, like you've probably taken better care of yourself. You've probably overcompensated by taking better care of yourself because you've, you've, you've always kind of been this way. And I just thought that was so great. I'm like, yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of funny that we all know what David Spade is. Like, we've all seen David Spade our entire lives and been like, oh yeah, he looks like the human embodiment of Snoopy's weird little bird friend. He's the human version of Snoopy's little bird friend, whatever that thing is supposed to be. What's that thing called? It has a name. <laughs> it has a name. What is that thing called? Like I keep wanting to say it's called like uh sunflower or something. <laughs> What's that thing called? I'm not going to think of it, but a wood, wood, what is that? Wood, is it, now I want to come up with it. I keep wanting to say woodchuck, which it obviously isn't. Woodstock. That little thing is called Woodstock. I I got it. David, uh, (laughs) <laughs> David Spade is the human embodiment of Woodstock from Snoopy. But sometimes that's true. Like sometimes the runt is the one who's the strongest because they do overcompensate. We're on a whole other tangent here. We're on a whole we're in a whole other dimension, but we needed to go here to get away from all that. We needed to start talking about how David Spade is a runt, a sickly runt, and that's why he outlived Norm Macdonald. He overcompensated by taking better care of himself than Norm because he's Woodstock. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free.